God could rescue me, only God could set me free, only God, only God, only God. Hello, this is Lisa Meister and Only God Rescued Me. Welcome to the podcast. And today we have Sharon Gantz. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. And we're going to start with prayer. I'm a father. We just thank you for this day. We just thank you for this opportunity to have Sharon here and for her to share her victory and her story. Lord, I just call for your peace that passes understanding, Lord, to come along Sharon right now. Father, that you would just give her the words to say and the parts of the story that you want brought out. Lord, I ask that you would bring the listeners along with her, that they would understand. And Lord, that you would just minister to the people hearing today. Lord, I just ask that you would just uh, bring peace in your comfort to Sharon as she comes through her story. And Lord, I just thank you for the redemption of Jesus coming in and setting her free. And I just rebuke any demonic forces and spirits trying to come against this in any way, shape, or form. And I say you're abound and unable to operate and be gone in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you for your power and your glory. And we just give this time to you. We ask that you would help our technology to work perfectly. And just thank you for your goodness in the land of the living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Sharon, can you start us out with your childhood? What was it like for you growing up? Okay, I first want to start with, I am 76. I've been married next year. It will be 55 years. Wow, congratulations. That easy, we've struggled, but we are happily married. And I have two wonderful daughters. And outside of my relationship to Jesus Christ, I could have destroyed all three of them. So I, too, want to pray. Father God, I just want to lift up what's before me, and I pray, Father, I want to speak in your spirit. I don't want to speak from my flesh. So, Lord, you take over. Lord, you illuminate what needs to be illuminated, and anything that I have written down that doesn't need to be shared, Lord, you just skip over it. I just give you total control in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I was raised uh, at my grandparents' home uh, in kindergarten. I was I lived with them for the first five and a half years of my life. Nana was loving and kind, and Bob was frightening and abusive. He was an alcoholic, a gambler. I remember shaking in front of him. And he would say to me, Sharon, do you have ants in your pants? That's how he would address it. I remember seeing a case of bottles. I didn't know it was a kid that was alcohol on the, on the porch, just off the kitchen. And he would take that to his bedroom, lock himself in for days and howl like a madman. I didn't understand it, but I remember it. My mother and my sister did not live with me. My sister was two years older. My mother was an alcoholic, a drug addict, prescription drugs, and she was in and out of mental, in, uh, mental hospitals. 
my birth certificate said that my sister and I had the same biological father. But my mother would constantly say to me, you were captured, never born. And she would constantly say, your father never wanted you. What do you think she meant by that? I don't know, but it was really painful. It was yeah. really painful. I just, um, I think when I get to a part in the story, you will understand why my mother, my mother had five kids. I don't think she loved, she had no ability to love children but she hated me. I clearly was so her focus. But before my sister died, she said to me, do you remember how mom used to say you were captured, never born? That was so important to re, she confirmed a painful memory. It wasn't just that I make this up, she confirmed it to me. So I think later when I give a part of the story, you'll understand where that might've come from. My mother remarried when I was four. Um, my stepdad was a wonderful man. He was gentle and kind. And um, I think he's probably was a lot of my healing. He was just a good man. And I didn't go to church. My family didn't go to church, but a neighbor took me to a Baptist church. And when I, I was 13, I heard a call. I can tell you the aisle I walked down that day to accept Jesus as my savior. I knew nothing of what scripture said. I knew nothing about Jesus. All I knew was I was a sinner and I needed help. My sister who was two years older than me by the time she was 10 was sexually abused by three neighbors. At 15, she attempted suicide. The same time her boyfriend from church shot himself and they both wound up in a hospital one block from my school. Neither the school nor the church addressed my pain in any way. When we got done with that, my, I, when my sister came out of the hospital and how long it was, my mother took us to court. We went to um, county court and she wanted to get rid of us both my sister and myself. And she said we were incorrigible. And I didn't even know what that word was. And I remember looking it up in the dictionary. And I said, "That's I was a good kid. I didn't get into a lot of trouble, neither did my sister. And I, I'm like, that word doesn't describe us. But the court removed my sister from our house. She went to live with an aunt and an uncle. And then she ran away to a large city where she lived on the streets and was raped and shot. She lived through um, the shooting, but she had a lot she had to go through. So whatever was God's tug in my heart, I didn't see God as loving. I didn't see God as power, powerful. Um, he seemed very distant. I didn't know where he was. I prayed for my mother, and the more I prayed for her, the worse she got. I graduated and left home at, at, at 17. At 22, I married, I, it was the first job I took, I married the boss's son. And um, what can I tell you about my husband? He's like my dad. He is gentle, kind, 
and faithful and he and loving. And those are things I did not get in my childhood. We had two daughters and from 22 to 30, my life was carefree. I had somehow everything was pushed down and I wasn't dealing with anything emotionally and God just allowed us to enjoy about eight really good years with the kids. My life turned when I turned 30. My youngest daughter was diagnosed with Wilms tumor. Wilms tumor is a childhood kidney cancer. And um, she was hospitalized for a month, had radiation, and they, they cut her from her belly button all the way around to the middle of her back. I thought they were gonna make this little cut. I'm so grateful I didn't know what she went through. Um, and then she went through a month of radiation and then 18 months of chemo. The worst part about it was back then, um, little kid, they, back then they didn't have the ports where they um, give you a port and then they can just put the chemo. So every time she got chemo, they had four people holding her down while they administered the chemo. It was so painful for me. I had to go in the other room and I felt like I really deserted my baby. It was really painful. I don't know what she went through, but it must have been horrific. So we get we went we took the kids on several vacations. We took all our money and if she was going to live a short life, we were going to give her the best time we could and we had fun as a family. And then um, her last round of chemo, we went to St. Croix. Um, the only reminder of what was left, we left behind was her little bald head. We couldn't, we couldn't leave the fact that she had cancer. That was a constant reminder. But we were having a beautiful time. St. Croix was like being in heaven. And... Um, my husband took, um, where we ate in the restaurant was high on a hill. So my husband took both girls up and up in the hill to, and wait for me. So I'm walking up the hill and I see a bench overlooking the beautiful harbor. And I went there and I sat down to pray. I had not prayed for 15 years. Oh. Yeah, I didn't, I'm, <laughs> My mother got worse. My sister got worse. I just was afraid that there was something really wrong with me, and I was afraid. So when I sat down to pray, it wasn't a prayer of asking God. It was just, thank you, Lord, that we had our daughter, that we were, on, we were having this beautiful time, and we had these wonderful memories. That's all. I, it was, I don't know how long I prayed, but it was just a prayer of thankfulness. I remember praying about for my mom, she got worse. I never once prayed when my daughter was sick because I was afraid she would die. Deep down, and I'm sure this comes from the abuse, I felt like I deserved to be punished and her cancer was my punishment. Uh, it was an irrational fear, but it was what was in my head. So we go up, I go up and meet them and we go in and eat 
and there are three men going from each table and they are playing a violin and singing at each table. And then the man who was singing went up to my daughter and he sang these words, little girl, you're gonna be all right. For me, I felt that he was a messenger from God. I felt it wasn't an accident. I prayed a prayer of gratitude at this man was now singing to my daughter. That was the beginning of my wanting to go back to church. So in my, I was in my early thirties, maybe 33, Lori was done with her cancer treatment by then. I found a pastor that I really, I really enjoyed what he taught on Wednesday. He would teach for two hours scripture and I just didn't wanna go home. I just, I was falling in love with the scripture. And then he taught a course um, on what is Christianity. He came to my house and I have no clue what I told him, but I didn't tell him about my horrific childhood. Maybe I told him about my, I, I honestly don't know what I told him. Four hours after my pastor left, my sister called me from another state and she, we had been estranged for 15 years. I had no clue that she even knew I was married. I have no clue how she got my number, but she called me and she kept calling. And then one day, the threat of suicide. And all of a sudden, all the pain that was deep inside from my childhood and her suicide, her attempted suicide came up. So she called you to tell you she wanted to try suicide again? Yes, yeah. And um, so I, I made an appointment with my pastor and I really wanted to fight with him and God. I was really angry. So I told him that my mother should rot in hell for all she did for us, how she tried to destroy my sister's life and my life. I told my pastor that I felt God was punishing me by giving Lori the cancer. I waited for his condemnation and judgment. I was waiting for him to tell me I was stuck in sin and all he did was love me. I was not ready for it. I was ready for a fight. I wanted to walk out. All I can say is when I left that day, it was like I got a new pair of lens. When I went outside, everything seemed so much brighter. Something had happened to me in that whole process of sharing my pain. So my, my pastor connected me to a local rehab and he wanted me to go, he connected me to a former priest and they both wanted me to go and understand the disease of alcoholism and how it affects the entire family. Well, I was really happy at first because I was happy that I could talk about all the rotten things that my mother said and did. But at the same time, I'm going to church, I'm hearing about the love of God. And I don't know how long it was, but after a while, it wasn't that enjoyable to say the rotten things anymore. God was beginning to change my heart. 
he was beginning to help me see the, and understand the disease of alcoholism. I was growing beyond blame and moving toward forgiveness through the love of Christ. God had more in planned at more planned at this rehab. My sister moved down to our house and they took her in this rehab for 30 days to detox her. Now, my sister was detoxed 60 times in three different institutions up in this large state. So my sister's counselor was Jewish and she said to me, your sister's chances stink on getting sober. Now I'm a relatively new Christian, just really walking with the Lord, just beginning to see glimpses. And all I could say was, you don't know the God I believe in. I, I just knew that the, all these things that were coming together weren't by accident. So uh, my sister was detoxed and she moved in her home for a year. And then she was able to go out on her own and she was sober for many years. Um, what can I say about my mother's love? Sometimes it still makes me sad when I see a baby with a mother. I was never cherished as a small baby, as a child. I don't have that. Um, I have no clue what a mother's love is. All I can tell you is that God made me the mother to my two girls that I would have wanted for myself. And he also told me that it's not your mother's love that will heal you. It's my love that will heal you. Just totally grateful. So my mom was 58, was diagnosed with lung and liver cancer. She was hospitalized. There were five of us kids and I was the only one that had the free time. And I drove 45 minutes each way every day for 90 days. My mother was losing control because she was losing her life. When she was in the hospital, we were praying for her salvation. And one of the nurses was telling her about heaven. And her comment was, can you get on the train in the end? She came to my house and we had hospice. So I know there were a lot of people talking to her about the Lord. Um, she was there for three months and at the end of a member telling her she, she was not always the nicest person. And I remember telling God, I brought her here to die, not to live. That was, that was my heart. I struggled with her, but I loved her. I, I did the best I could for her. And then one day she's sitting on her bed and I'm sitting on the side of her bed and she put her hands on my face like this. And she looked into my eyes and she told me she loved me. Oh, wow. It's the first words that I ever heard from her. The love and approval that I always sought was now mine. About two weeks later, Bob and I are sitting on the edge of her bed and I have her in my arms and she actually died in my arms with a tear going down her face. And this is a child who hated her most of her life. What a beautiful ending to not such a beautiful life. 
My dad, a few years later, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, all five of us, we had so much fun with him. He was a lot of fun all the time. He was remarried. We drove down to his house every single weekend, all the kids. I don't know where we slept, but we stayed with him every weekend. And we were loaded with memories and lots of fun before he died. He died on my sister's birthday. So God really blessed us. I was grateful that my older sister was home to be with both of my parents before they died. And then after that, my pastor retired and I moved to a new church. And um, it was in an upper middle class church. And God gave me this scripture, um, John 1 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And as I pondered the words, human decision and husband's will, the God, God really clearly put the thought in my head that your grandfather was your father. That was the thought. I never shared it with anybody, but I clearly knew that thought came from God. So um, I'm on this, I was chosen to be on the pastoral care team. And one of the things that we were going to spend a weekend understanding sexual abuse. I knew my sister was abused and that's why I wanted to go. I did not know of anything I had been through that looked like sexual abuse. So we go to the seminar and the first two people, pastors that spoke, um, were pastors that were abused with SRA, satanic ritual abuse. Um, the, the younger one, the male was probably in his middle twenties and both his parents were, I think they might've been psychiatrists, but I think they were doctors, whatever. And they were both part of the cult. So, uh, as I listened at the end of their talk, at the end of the whole seminar, one of them came forward and said, there's someone in the front row that was triggered. And that one person was me. The following year, I'm teaching youth club and I fall and I break my leg um, at the altar of the church. So my mind is broken now. I'm shattered and fragmented inside. And now my body's broken. It's really getting difficult. I decided to fly to this Christian clinic that was about five hours away. And um, I wanted help. They were on the radio every day. I knew they were godly men. So I first want to share this picture. Let me see if I can. This picture is one of the first pictures God gave me. And it is about... Um, it is about finding your lost child. And there's four different 
the people and they're going in different directions. And God clearly told me that I would find my lost child in prayer. I only have two pictures that God that I got color in and it clearly was red. I felt like it was Christ's blood. It was going up to heaven and the little girl spirit connected to um, to the man. I don't know if that was Jesus or if that was my counselor, but that was really powerful to me. So I'm at this clinic and I'm there for two days and God gives me this image. It's an image of a split child, faceless. It looks bound with this darkness in the middle of her stomach. So I wanted to make the split child in occupational therapy. I knew it was powerful. I knew it was coming from God and they wouldn't let me. They let me make an envelope stuffer. Like, what is that doing for my healing? They did not hear me at all. I brought papers that I had written. I shared them and it was like everything was being ignored. It was a very difficult time being there. So my leg is broken. Maybe I'm there two weeks. They want me off my crutches. So they told me that they wanted to take an MRI. So the orthopedic doctor is coming in and talking to me and saying, he comes right up to the bed and he said, what happened to you when you were little? He said, there is trauma to your leg. And this tear rolled down my one eye. The doctor never said anything. The psychiatrist never said anything and neither did my counselor. It was as ignored. It was very painful. Wow. Um, when I left after 30 days, my counselor got me together and he said, we can't help you. Now I'm a Christian and I could have came up with something better than that. What I would have come up with, we don't have the answers, but Jesus is the answer. I wish they would have said that to me. They at least got me on. Um, they did a few things that probably, it probably was meant to be part of my path, but it was a painful part. It wasn't a healing part. When I got home, I got a flashback of what happened to my leg. I'm in the basement, my grandfather's basement, where I had lived and I was small. My leg is in a black vice. My grandfather and my uncle are breaking my leg on this vice. And then they told me that I had polio. Oh, wow. And um, another thing that my sister told me before she died, she said, do you remember when they told you you had polio? So another piece that was confirmed by her life living with us. So yes, I knew I didn't have polio. I knew, I think I was afraid they did this to me. What else are they going to do? But you know, you live in fear. So part of the hidden things that they were trying to do. I had Christ and I felt hopeless and I also felt lifeless. 
and I was grounded in the Lord and I was going through something horrific and I didn't understand what it was. I had a Catholic social worker and it's so funny that I don't remember much of what he said, but he asked me one question. He said, if you could have one thing, what would you want? I knew right away what it was. I don't know why I'm shattered and fragmented. I don't know what's going on inside of me, but I'd like to, to meet someone holding Christ who has what I have and made it to the other side. And I never got that, but I've now become that for other people. And that's my desire to become hope, hope and light for people who are still stuck in it. So in 1990, I was listening to Michael Talbot's song, The Hiding Place. And there's two scriptures. Uh, I was having dreams about circles and squares, and it kept coming over and over. So these two scriptures are scriptures that, um, oh, it's one scripture, well, 30, um, Psalm 37, 32, 7, you surround my soul with cries of deliverance. And 32.10, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. The whole thing about surrounding, I didn't know what was happening. I know now that in my head, I was believing that I was still surrounded by Satan's circle. And God was trying to give me scripture to tell me, no, the truth was that he surrounded me. And he wanted to break that lie, to break that truth, that, that I was living in my head. So he wanted to break the lie, break the truth. And um, all I can tell you is God gave me a download. I've only had one where he clearly told me what to do, what to get, and how to act it out. So I went to Channel Lumber, which is kind of like Home Depot. I got a square piece of wood, I got a round circle, and I got a small ax. He told me to go to a florist and get a baby, flat, a baby rose and to get a long stem rose. I, I, I'm so grateful that my counselor didn't call the police, <laughs> but he also couldn't handle what I was dealing with. So um, I put the rose in the middle of the circle, the baby rose. Well, first of all, he told me, when you get done, you take the, the, the long stem rose home because you're already whole in Christ. You might not feel that, but that's who you are. So I put the baby rose in the circle and I chopped the, the bud off first because they destroyed my beauty. I knew that. And then I chopped the stem in a few places. But God told me he wanted me to break the circle. I didn't listen to God. I did what I wanted. And I destroyed the circle. I identified with Moses with going beyond what God had asked. And this is where, this is a dream that I had. And it's um, two um, tanks attacking each other. 
And I guess as a sexual abuse survivor, you would think that the little tank was me and the big tank was them. Well, God told me that this was my rage, that the big tank went after the little tank, which had four men in it, and they were basically the four men plus the people that abused me, and I wanted to destroy them. I wanted to destroy them for what they did to me. So this, I, this is only recently that I understand that this is the same thing with Moses. I just figured that one out. So grateful for that. So I was able to contact the young pastor who went through SRA and he was at a local church and I went there and I talked to him a lot. I, I, I stayed at that church and he asked me, where was your abuse? How far away is it? And I said, a half hour. So he said, would you go back with me? And I said, yes. So he said, let's pray first and then we'll head out. So we prayed and while he was praying, I clearly saw something black in the center of the cemetery. So we're driving up and the town before my grandfather's was a Masonic sign. And he said to me, did you know Masons are part of a cult? And I said, no, my grandfather was a 33 degree Mason. And then he said, and they cut off fingers to mark a child. And I said, my cousin doesn't have several fingers. So we go to the cemetery and my grandfather's house where I lived for five years, we lived next to a cemetery. Across the street was the Masonic temple and um, Two houses down was the funeral parlor. So convenient. So this is the house that you grew up in? Yeah, yeah. Because I drew a picture of the tombstone and he found it. It was identical to what I drew. It was in the bottom. And as we're going up the hill, we start walking to this thing. And it's just like in the prayer. It was black. It was an altar in the center of the cemetery. And I want to read Deuteronomy 12.2. Destroy completely all the high places on the high mountains and on the hill and under every spreading tree where the nations you are disposing worship their gods. In 2 Kings 2.3, the high places, however, were never removed. People continued to offer sacrifices and burnt incense there. Unbelievable. As I approached the black altar in my head, I clearly heard the words, there it is. So all of a sudden, I'm getting like lots of pieces now. I'm in my, maybe I'm around 45-ish. My grandfather being a 33-degree mason, my, um, you know, just all the things that I just shared, my cousin's fingers. Um, we were told my cousin was born that way, just like they said I had polio, they cover up. So, um, yeah, so we have, we have these, those scriptures. So I just wanted to share them. The abusers had a lot of control. They violate your body, your mind, and your spirit. They took scripture and they twisted it 
they attach sexual overtones to it. So who in the world do you tell that to? Who, who can you go to? And I was also introduced to a false Jesus. Um, I wrote here, I was a Christian grounded in the Lord, and yet I felt unfixable. I didn't feel safe in my home, in my body, in my head, or in church. I was shattered and fragmented. I felt like Humpty Dumpty, so broken. And in Deuteronomy, I had underlined, I, under, I, I really studied the Old Testament, so I underlined things. I had no clue why I was underlining it. Deuteronomy 7.22, the Lord your God will drive out those nations little by little. He was talking about the evil nations. What I felt when I did it, that God was telling me that that's how your healing's gonna come. It doesn't come quickly. It's gonna come little by little, but I'm in control of it. So that scripture was very powerful for me. Um, I went to a healing conference and they talked a lot about evil and stuff. And I was able to break vows, generational ties and documents. And I re remember going up and laying down, like laying down for prayer. And I didn't care, just do whatever you need to do. And um, they were powerful, uh, unbelievable. And they asked me all these questions and things were coming out of my mouth about the evil that I had seen. And I had no clue what I was sharing, but they did. I didn't remember any of it, but I knew like, I don't understand this. So they prayed over me. And all I can tell you at the end of the conference, I didn't feel healed, but the darkness lifted. That's all I can say. There was not a healing, but something had changed by my being there. So the, the um, people that were running the conference were, they, they were staying at my church um, with a couple from my church. And they said, we wanna come back to your house. We, we feel that you have things in your house that we need to take away from you. And what they were, were my journals Satan a satanic book, tapes, pictures that I took of the graveyard. Because I couldn't find anybody that understood what I went through, I felt they were taking the only proof I had. It was very hard to give them. It was two bags, two garbage bags full of all this stuff. But I surrendered it anyhow. Because they saw it as like open doors to the demonic. Is that where they were taking it out? Yeah, I think that um, they knew that they needed to take that away, and um, and I and I just surrendered it. It was um, was really difficult. This is one of the promises that God gave me, Matthew ten twenty six. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And one of the things that my counselor, when I finally found someone who understood, he told me, do not try to dig anything up. God will reveal what you need. And he kept, he kept telling me that, and I was just grateful. I didn't really, you know, once it started to come out, but at that point I hadn't been there. So I had 
started to have more triggers. Um, the one of the first triggers I had was about a dog. And I'm in a brokerage and I'm working. I'm on an abusive call. And this man calls me a dog. And I almost freaked out at my desk. I got off the phone and went to the bathroom. And I did not know what was happening to me. When I eventually told my one counselor that I was seeing at that time, he said, it's a trigger. He said, if they had called you a jackass, you wouldn't have reacted the same way, but they called you a dog. At the same time, we had a family dog. His name was Ruffles. It's a wonderful dog, but I couldn't be near him. When I was alone in the house, I made him go in the other room. I couldn't handle listening to him breathe. It was just freaking me out. And when my minister of pastoral care came to my house, she said to me, your dog's afraid of you. I never did anything to him. I just made him leave the room. And I had no clue why. So when we had to put him down, I think I asked my daughter to leave and I made an amends to Ruffles. I told him that I was sorry for the way I treated him. I told him that when I was little, something happened to me with dogs. I don't know what it was yet, but it was painful. And I said, I took it out on him. And I told him, I'm sorry. How many people have to make an amends to a dog before you put him to sleep? That was tough. Then another trigger came out and it was about a doctor. I worked um, in a Catholic university and I was substituting, I was a, a secretary bookkeeper and I worked in the psychology department and many of the doc, many of the professors there were doctors and I could not address any of them by name. I couldn't get the word doctor out of my mouth. And then I started to see a new therapist and the same thing happened. I never addressed him for six months. My counselor told me that if doctors or police were part of the abuse, that they, they wouldn't be trustworthy to me. Just painful. Then I had this dream. It was about, um, it was about um, paper dolls. I was praying with my girlfriend and they were all in a row. And there were four of them. And then I go home and uh, so there's four of them. And all of a sudden they appear on my sliding glass door in my bathroom. And all of a sudden I see a little hand wiping off all their faces. And I'm thinking, what is this all about? And it was no mouth can tell, no eyes did see, no ears to hear the truth, no nose to smell. That happened in 2001. It was 2015 and my, my parents were drug um, not my stepdad. He might have drank. I don't think he was alcoholic. Um, my mother, my grandfather. Um, 
all had, and my sister and my siblings all had drug and alcohol addictions. And my addiction was food. I would say one time, maybe or after my daughter had cancer, I went up to 229 pounds. And now I am 10 pounds away from my goal. The more I got healed, the lighter I got. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't stop eating. So I started to call for help. So I called all the places south of me and north of me for an hour. So that's a two hour, uh, you know, two, it was really a, a big span. And every place I called when I told them I had an eating addiction, they said, we can't help you. It just seemed like the story of my life. How many counselors, how many pastors, it just was so devastating. And then I don't know how I spotted this doctor. He also was a pastor. He was more north than I was looking. But when I went through uh, the description, he, it said that he understood SRA and he also, um, he also understood DID, which is dis dissociated identity disorder. I never identified with that word. I identified with multiple personality disorder because my personalities came up as people. They came up, they were children. They were probably from the age of two to seven. So I identified with being a multiple personality. So I made an appointment with him and I, I had took all my pictures that I drew. I sent it to him and he, we had two hours. My best friend came, she's a Christian uh, psychiatric social worker and she took notes and she came almost to 95% of our, our meetings. And, and that's how I was able to write, eventually write my book. But so she, um, so I go to see him and the very first day he said, Sharon, you have been abused under satanic ritual abuse and we're dealing with multiple personalities. So that was, um, I was grateful that I finally found an answer. This man was unbelievable. What a godly man, what a gentle soul. So I wanna share this picture of this. Um, this is what I call my surrender box. Okay, and um, Jesus had a surrender box. How did I get my memories? When I was in therapy, just like the first picture, it was all done in prayer. My counselor would say, Lord, take Sharon to her deepest need. And it was like he left the scene. He was there to maybe, he was there, he was clearly there as a facilitator, but he wanted it to be between me and Jesus. So um, Jesus was, um, my, my multiples came up in layers and they were all held down by the demonic. I didn't know what demonic was. We were never taught about, I've been in wonderful churches that gave me a firm foundation in Christ, but they did not teach me about evil and the demonic. And they also didn't teach me about healing. As the first batch came forward, every batch was held down by the demonic. 
and my counselor would deal with it. He didn't yell, he didn't scream. He just was a gentle soul. He knew what he was doing. But I was, it was hard for me because I'm like, what is the demonic? So I knew about Derek Prince and I went and ordered his book that, that taught about the demonic. And I read a book and I'm like, okay, it's a spirit. I, I, can, I can deal, I don't have to deal with that. My counselor will deal with that. And I was okay. But I needed to understand that a little bit more being in therapy. So what my therapy was like, I would go in prayer and it was like I was watching a video, a movie. And I would have to relay to my counselor what I was seeing. And I said, how come my multiples won't talk to you? They'll only talk to me. He said, they have an issue with trust. So now you have to communicate that to me. One of the things that was so beautiful about Jesus is he had a surrender box. He lived with the multiples. They were either, they either lived at a cottage or they lived in a conference room. And he would share what he went through, how he was innocent, what they did to his body. Uh, it was unbelievable to watch him interact with each one of them. And there were a few of them that gave him a hard time. And my counselor would tell me when we were out of prayer, don't worry, Jesus can handle them. And some of them would take a, a harder time getting around to understand who Jesus was. There was a few times I felt embarrassed by what they were telling me. And I didn't want to tell my counselor. And then I had to write a prayer to my multiple and I said, I'm sorry, you shared something that you went through and, and I, I will talk about it. So I had to learn to overcome some of the di very difficult things that they had gone through. Uh, they ranged from two years old to seven. Um, one of the things that I got was um, a present in my fifth birthday and it was a dead animal. It's possible that it was an animal that one of my multiple killed. It gave me fear for over 20 years when I opened up presents. I never knew what, would, what I would find. And I even remember in my bridal shower opening a gift and I was still scared. They taught me how to kill cats and dogs and that was before they taught me how to take a baby's life. Hmm. I'd like to say something about three of my multiples and how they lived in fear. Um, when I met one, her name was No Name. She didn't want a name because if she didn't have a name, they couldn't hurt her. That was her belief. The next was Candy. Candy wore a mask and she felt that if she couldn't see, they couldn't see her. And then there was Puppet. He didn't look like a little boy. He looked like a puppet. And he felt that he had, if he had a puppet's body, they couldn't do anything to him anymore. 
So as they were in Jesus's presence, Jesus brought out the surrender box and each one of them, it was like, it's like what we do. It was a slow surrender with each group of multiples that came out. No name surrendered her no name. And she took on the name Annie. Candy went and put her mask into the surrender box and she could see. And Puppet took off his outfit and put that in the surrender box. And he had a cute little, he was cute. He was, he was about six years old. So um, I'm in church, it's 2015. And I can tell you when I was little, when I, when I was um, trying to trust Jesus, I would let him take my inner child and play airplane. I felt like I could trust him, like I'll give you my hands. So he would play airplane with me. And then I graduated to letting him take me around in a, in a wagon. And then after that, I was able to sit on his lap. So in 2015, we had a communion service. All of a sudden, I'm in church, I'm by the communion table, and I'm almost like taken up. And I'm not in church anymore. There's no one around me. And it's just the communion table. And all of a sudden, I see Jesus pulling my three altars and stopping at the communion table. They all get out of the wagon. They all have communion. They get back in the wagon and Jesus pulls them off. And all of a sudden I'm back in church. It was beautiful. It just, it just, I, I, I blow my mind what God can do to communicate in his spirit. And then there was the cage. They live, made me live in a cage parts of the time. It was in my grandfather's basement. They wanted me to believe I was a dog. But on this particular day, when God took me back, all I did was I saw the cage and I saw this cane wrapped around my neck. I'm on all fours, like walking like a dog. And my counselor stopped the prayer. And he said, Sharon, what you are experiencing is satanic practice. And we, I got calmed down a little bit, and then I was able to go back into prayer to see what God wanted to show me. God gave me an, um, a, a, another vision. And I'll just read the end part of it. He said, I could see him take off. I could see Jesus take off the dog leash that was chained around my neck. And I heard the words, you are not a dog. You are my child. It was very powerful. Now we're going to talk about May. May is, May is, May looks like a crocus, like up north. She was the, she's yellow. I'm in prayer with a friend and she came out and she came out in June 4th, 2002. And God didn't show me her until about 2015, 16. 
It was about 15 years later, 14 years later. So we're in prayer and I see my, well, I was called Sherry as a little girl. I'm five years old and I'm standing next to Jesus. And I see this little, I, I see this little yellow thing come out and I'm standing there and all of a sudden she comes out of the ground. She's five years old and she said, I have carried the family secret all this time. She said to me, you are your grandfather's daughter. Oh. So now I understand my mother's hatred of me. She raised me after she was raped with her dad. We talked about why was I captured, not born. I think it was her pain coming out. Um, I believe it too was more powerful for my grandfather when you offer your own child as a sacrifice. I was his child. It was really difficult. So I got some answers. So my pastor kept giving me scripture every week. Every time I would go, he gave, and, and I couldn't get past it. I felt like a freak. I just had a horrible, horrible time realizing how I was conceived. And then all of a sudden, and I can't tell you how many months later, I'm reading a prayer book and it says that you have God the Father's DNA and all of a sudden, instantly, I was healed. Wow. It didn't matter how God got me here. All of a sudden, I knew it didn't matter. I belonged to God. And right. it, was, it was me and God reading the book. It was no one reading me scripture, no one trying to tell me. And um, that was a real painful. That was a real painful one. Yeah. Um, I never... I have a brother who's alive. I would never, uh, he actually has issues. I wouldn't share it with, and I have a sister too, who's really messed up. So I wouldn't share it with anybody. It's just, um, it's just, I know the truth. I understand what more of what my mother went through, but I can honestly say, I need to say this for, for some people who might, have had similar backgrounds with, with family. I don't miss my mother. I had compassion for her. I had love for her, but there was no relationship. So how can you miss somebody when there wasn't a relationship? Right. So um, I know my mother is in heaven. Actually, when she died, I knew she was going to heaven and I was very upset. I'm like, I didn't want to go to heaven. I didn't really want to be where she was. And I, I was like in that kind of a mindset for about a year because of all the pain I had gone through. My mother and I will have more of a reconciliation someday. But it was just a real painful life. Um, and was, I she in, was she involved in the SRA as far as you know? I do know my mother had several abortions. 
Yeah. So um, I would think um, how messed up her life was she was. And um, did she abuse you in the SRA aspect of it? Not that I have memory. There is one more memory I have of being at a ritual with poles, with lights on the poles. I'm in a white dress. I'm surrounded by everybody. And my grandmother comes and takes off my dress and I'm now naked in front of everybody. And I'm crying, Nana, Nana, come put my dress back on. And she walks away. And now I realize that she's one of them. And then I went to a church meeting and I felt like I needed to go forward. And when I got up to the altar, the Lord had the white dress there. And I knew I needed to forgive my grandmother. I didn't know she was a part. I had already forgiven everybody else, but God wanted me to forgive her. That was really painful because once I realized she was part of them, I had no one. And I know she did other things, but like lots of enemies, there was a lot of things that she did, but I tried to believe that she was safe. And when they did this, I knew she wasn't. So, so how long did you live with your grandparents? Um, probably five, till five and a half, but I went there a lot of times on the weekend. A so then you you went back with your mom and stepdad? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, this is the most powerful thing. It blows my mind. You have the image of the split child, no face, the darkness in the stomach, and these are, these are the images. This is how God showed me I was healed. This is the girl. She's now got a face, she's got curly hair. And this is Jesus down here. He's below the, um, the darkness. And he pushes the darkness up. He keeps pushing it up. And it's by my heart. And then it falls out like a bowling ball on the ground. Wow. And then a few months later... I see God's hands pulling up the divider that split the child. That's how God told me that he healed me. This wow. happened in, two, in uh, 2017, and then the split came in 2018. So God was powerful. I just want to read this last thing, and then I'm done. This, is, this came from a prayer, and this is what Jesus said to me. You will find me in your dead end. Someday you will look back on your deliverance and marvel all I did for you. I know every one of your parts that remain in darkness. They are neither trapped nor stuck. Your trauma will unfold like a rose. Let's call it deliverance to destiny. I call forth memories like I call Lazarus from the grave. I call them out of darkness, and when I speak, they will come. And this is the last thing I just want. If nothing else you take away, I just hope you can understand what I'm trying to say. As a five-year-old, I was forced to do evil, which made me feel like the scum of the earth. Jesus's message was clear. What they meant for evil, I will make for good. You are sealed in my blood, and nothing can get in. You are not what you've done, but what I've done 
Jesus has covered it all. His, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. There is nothing that he can cover. So when we try to hold on to painful memories about ourselves, Jesus wants us to let it all go. So again, I'm gonna leave you with the words, you are not what you've done, but what I've done for you. Amen. Beautiful. So what does healing feel like? Um, freedom, a level of happiness that I've never experienced before. Um, wanting to help others that are stuck where I was because I know that there's hope in Jesus. Um, I'm working on letting go of the last mm, clause of food addiction, which has been my hardest thing to let go of. Um, I don't want fool to rule me. It's not even about eating food. It's about the control it has. It's about thinking about it. It's about being free from it. Uh, it's about God's word tells us that we have self-control and like, this is like the last, the last thing that, I, that I'm dealing with is, is letting go of the food addiction. But I have a sense of freedom, of peace. If I die right now, there's not one thing I have to tell my husband or my two girls. They know how much I love them. And I feel that there's nothing more that I can get in this life but for me, I want to be hope and light to people who are broken. And I don't know what form that's going to come in, but that's my desire. And God told me years ago that I would share my life. So this is it. Beautiful. So. Mm -hmm. What things do you find that you like to do? Oh, that's, that's a hard thing. Um, I love physical things like sports and that's been stripped from me in the last seven years i love tennis i played tennis with the men i played on an a team i was really good but i know god took that from me and part of it was a lot i was so good at it i it was part of my identity and god didn't want that he didn't want my identity to be in something i did but in him so but um, I have a lot of physical problems this week. I'm seeing a doctor. I have a lot of neuropathy. Some days I can't walk. The pain in my legs are real bad. So um, I would say physical things I really enjoy, but God can heal them. So I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm working on that. Um, that's a good part of, of, I do go to Orange Theory Fitness. I do love going there. That's my happy hour. So um, I've been in a new church and many of them have read my testimony and I feel it's the first church I'm in where I have prayer support for wherever God's gonna take me. Okay. So I feel like uh, my, my physical thing has been really hard to deal with. Uh, I've had two artificial knees, an artificial shoulder, my hand, I had hand surgery. I don't know if I need foot surgery. So I'm just waiting to see what God shows me. Um, 
So dealing with a lot of physical things. And I was dealing with a lot of pain this last week. And I'm like, Satan, if this comes from you, I'm, I'm going to ignore you because I'm going to move on with what I need to share. And uh, so um, some days I don't have much pain, but I can't go outside and walk. I can't go to the beach and walk. The things that I would love to do right now, I can't do. And I'm trying to, I can go to the pool, but it's a little cool to be in the pool right now. So I'm just... I'm taking it one day at a time. We'll see what happens on Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, we're going to go out with shaking the Luciferian prayer. Thank you. Uh, do you want to repeat after me or you want me just to pray it by myself? I can repeat after you. Okay. From where we are seated in Christ Jesus. From where we are seated in Christ Jesus. At the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father. The Lord God Almighty says, the Lord of God, Lord God Almighty says, the time has come, the time has come for the Luciferian kingdom to be shaken, for the Luciferian kingdom to be shaken. We decree, we decree, let the great shaking, let the great shaking of all who worship Lucifer begin, of all who worship Lucifer begin. Your sorceries and sacrifices, your sorceries and sacrifices will not help you, will not help you. Your protection is removed. Your protection is removed. Let the shaking of the Luciferian kingdom increase. Let the shaking of the Luciferian kingdom increase. In Jesus name. Amen. In, in Jesus name. Amen. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. What a story. I am just so happy that Jesus came in and set you free. Yeah, me too. Me too. And thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you. God bless. Only God could rescue me. Only God could set me free.